This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, your host here on Cross Defense. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Glad you're with us today. We talk about, oh, we introduced the theology contest, 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 the most certain. And we talk about 1 Corinthians 15 and the joy of the resurrection. Thanks for being part of the fun. It's Monday afternoon. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Hallelujah. God be praised for that. That Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That he has overcome sin, death, and the devil. That he gives us all that we need for this life and the life to come. And we're especially thankful that we get to rejoice in that truth today and every time we get together for cross defense. This is fantastic. We're going to start today with a new thing here. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, by the way, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas, and your host every Monday afternoon on Cross Defense. And uh, I invented something. My, maybe Carrie, my wife, did. We were, I wanted to play a theological game with the world, and so this is the idea. We got the hashtag for this game. It's hashtag the most certain. It's a little riff, a nice little riff on this is most certainly t- true from the catechisms of Martin Luther, but I said, honey, why not just call it most certainly or something like that? And she says, well, it's not what we are. It's who we are. We are the most certain because we have God's word, which gives us this absolute certainty. So each week or whenever I remember, which so far since we're starting now, it'll be each week, but we'll see if I if I forget or see how it goes or see how into it you guys get. A big thing depends on how uh, actively you guys are going to hashtag this thing. The most certain. So I'll give you a contest each week, and you can post stuff up on whatever social media you like, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. I'll try to search Instagram for those hashtags, and then I'll pick my favorite and some honorable mentions. Now, we tried it with an experiment last night. We tried it. Hashtag the most certain. What is your favorite Easter hymn? And so uh, I'm going to give you the results of this one-day contest. But here's what we're going to do for next week. I'm going to try this. So for next week's contest, I would like you to to find the most intriguing theological sentence that you've read in the last couple of weeks. I mean, it could be. I'm not going to. I mean, they're not going to test you on this. I'm not going to send fact checkers. So if you read it like a month ago, it's all right. But the most the most theologically intriguing sentence that you've read in the last few weeks. I want you to write that down. You can make it pretty if you want to put it in a picture. Just put the text there, the sentence. Please put the author and the um, and the book that you pulled it from. Some of you guys will put Bible verses. And even though that's a little bit sassy, that's acceptable, of course. But I'm looking for other stuff that you guys are reading also. I'm just interested in that. So for your most interesting theological sentence... And hashtag the most certain, and uh, and post it up, and we'll come back next week, and we'll pick, uh, and we'll pick the winners. Now I'm just checking the hashtag for this week, and it was the favorite Easter hymns, and we got a we got a bunch of responses already. But the one who, um, the one the hymn that stood out the most, well I don't know if you guys want to guess. What well, I mean, it probably tells you more about who I'm friends with on social media than it does what the best Easter hymn. But here, let me give you the honorable mentions while you discuss it amongst yourselves. Awake my heart with gladness. That's great. Ye sons and daughters of the king. Also a fantastic, I mean, what a great hymn to think about how, 
Christ Jesus is risen today. Jesus, uh, those, so those were the three that came in honorable mention. But the number one recommended is this. Christ Jesus lay in death's strong bands. I think I got about ten mentions of that particular hymn, but I'm going to give the victory to to at Joseph A. Turner 9 on Twitter, who says, Christ Jesus lay in death strong bands. Hashtag the most certain. Pretty simple entry. Christ Jesus lay on death strong bands was the, is the uh, Luther Easter hymn, and it is an intriguing text. It was written in 1524. Um, I pulled out my old Luther's works here, and the title that they have it under is Death Held Our Lord in Prison which is an amazing thing to think about. I mean, Luther has this idea that the grave is like a prison. I mean, and that's true enough. And it was written in 1524, so if you remember that 1523, 1524 was the great era of Lutheran hymnody. They were moving from, what, they were moving from Latin to German. They needed some things to sing. And so Luther wrote a bunch of hymns, including one hymn on each of the parts of the catechism, which is really quite great. A couple of major hymns on all of the, uh, um, or not on all, but on a lot of the major holidays in the church, including this one, Christ Jesus Lay in Death, Strong Bands. Now, one of the marks of Luther's hymns is that they are so thoroughly, I mean thoroughly, theological. It is just, Luther can't help himself. He just is, um, he's just saturated with God's word and theology. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about this hymn. Christ Jesus Lay in Death Strong Bands. And then, when we get to the end of this segment, I'm going to try to read it as a poem to see if I can capture some of the stuff, So, uh, some of the things that are going on in here. I even pra Now, you guys know I practiced reading this hymn. I don't know. I, it's sometimes hard when you, when you go from reading a hymn like a hymn to reading it like a poem because you want to, at the line breaks, you know, where you want to read it along the melody. But if you could, it's so, you, I want to, I try to pry the melody out of my head and just kind of let it stand and stop where there's punctuation and not stop where there's not. So that's one of the things that's going on. But anyway, it, it, it uh, the Luther hymn, it, the original one had seven stanzas. The ones that we have in our hymnals have five most of the time. And so the first part talks about what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection. How he's gone to battle for us to fight against devil uh, and, and sin and uh, and death, the three great enemies that we have. So he's gone to battle for us, and he's and he's gone into battle, and he's and he has himself died. So that the death of Jesus, so that uh, the idea is like um, it's almost like you get this picture that Jesus is laid in the grave, and death is kind of now it's like wrapped its arms around Jesus. Just like death has embraced everybody. So you go to the grave and it's like being embraced by death and then and you're held down by it and uh, and nobody has broken the grip of death. I mean no one has gotten out of that of that death grip. But it's almost like Jesus is laid in the grave and now death has wrapped its its arms around Jesus, but Jesus is not just laying there, he's fighting. He's fighting to get out. He's he's pr he's pressing past death. It's this back and forth, back and forth, until at last, boom! On Easter, Jesus breaks forth out of death and breaks forth out of the grave. So that's the first kind of drama part of the hymn. And then and then, uh, Luther talks about what that means for us. He talks about the feast 
that's there. In fact, in, in verse 3, in the ones that we have in our hymnal, it talks about Jesus being the Paschal Lamb. Here, the true Paschal Lamb we see. Now, the Paschal Lamb, that's the Passover Lamb. So you remember what happened when the, when the Israelites were in Exodus, were in, were in Egypt, and the Lord is going to rescue them, and here comes the last plague, the death of the firstborn, which is a, I mean, that's a massive plague, you know. I mean, that's a, an amazing thing to think about, that the Lord is going gonna, is gonna to kill all the firstborn. It may be as helpful for us to remember that that's what the Pharaoh was doing. Remember, the, I mean, the Pharaoh was killing all the boys. So this is a, this is kind of a vengeance for the, for the work that the Pharaoh was doing. But, but still, it's a, kind of a, it's, a, it's a frightful thing to fall into the hands of God. So the firstborn are going to be destroyed. But the Lord says, oh, what, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, and I want you to kill it. And I want you to roast it, and I want you to eat it. But I want you to take the blood, and I want you to put the blood on the lintels the doorposts. I want you to put it on the top and on the side of the door. And now the angel, as the angel, destroying angel, comes through to deliver the wall up to the Egyptians. When the Lord comes through to, to, to execute this punishment on the Egyptians, you're going to escape. Now, now Luther picks that up, that picture, and he says, here on the cross, the true Paschal Lamb we see that God so freely gave us he died on the accursed tree, so strong his love, to save us. His blood marks our door, faith points to it, death passes over, and Satan cannot harm us, hallelujah. And then he calls us into this festival. Now, it's an amazing sort of thing that, the, that, the, that Luther connects the Passover and Easter so closely, as St. Paul does in Second Corinthians. So let us keep the festival. Christ is the joy. He's the sun that's risen. It's fantastic. So we're feasting. This is, in fact, he says it. Let us feast this Easter day on Christ, the bread of heaven. So Jesus is the lamb, and he is the bread, the manna. He, and it, quite literally, the bread is Jesus. He's there in the bread and the wine. The word of grace has purged away the old and evil leaven. Remember one of the marks of the Passover. One of the marks of the Passover is they had to take all the leaven and throw it out. You had to make unleavened bread. That's to indicate the haste at which they're making these things. They had to make tortillas. They couldn't make, you know, your white bread for sandwiches. You had to make because they had to make it so fast because, pum, the next day they're they're out of there, headed to Mount Sinai. So all the leaven has to be thrown out. So throw out the leaven. Christ alone, our souls will feed. He's our meat and a, our drink. So Luther goes from, and it's quite amazing how he does it. He goes from this great battle and strife of of sin, death, and the devil fighting against Jesus, and then Jesus winning the victory. But not only that, but we now get to celebrate the victory. It's always occurred to me, and this is a curious thing when you go back to when you go back to Exodus and you go back to the Passover, is that before the Lord rescued the people, he gave them the feast to celebrate the rescue. And it's, it's a think about that. That the day the, the the first time the the event of the Exodus was celebrated was the night before the Exodus happened. <laughs> In other words, I mean, do you see that? That that the Lord says I want, you to, I want you to gather up your family. I want you to kill this lamb. I want you to eat this food in celebration of what I will do. And then every other year after that, you're celebrating what I did do. <laughs> so so the, first, the first time they eat the Passover meal, they're supposed to remember what's going to happen tomorrow. How can you remember what happened tomorrow? This, Jesus does the same thing when he institutes the supper, right? Do this in remembrance of me. Of remembrance of what? Of, re of remembrance of the very thing that I'm going to do tomorrow. 
So just like the first Passover meal was in celebration of the Passover that was going to happen the next day, so the first Lord's Supper was a celebration of the events that were going to happen the next day on Good Friday on the cross. <laughs> it's just so wonderful. It's so, so wonderful. So that Jesus now is, is the Passover lamb who sets us free. And every year at Easter, really every Sunday, every time the church gathers together in the Lord's name to hear his word and to eat his body and his blood, every time it happens, it is, it's, a, it's a celebration of Easter. So here's the hymn. Christ Jesus lay in death's strong bands by Martin Luther, 1524. Christ Jesus lay in death's strong bands for our offenses given. But now, at God's right hand, he stands and brings us life from heaven. Therefore, let us joyful be and sing to God right thankfully loud songs of Alleluia, Alleluia. It was a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended. The victory remained with life. The reign of death was ended. Holy Scripture plainly saith that death is swallowed up by death. His sting is lost forever. Alleluia. Here, the true Paschal Lamb we see, whom God so freely gave us. He died on the accursed tree, so strong his love to save us. See, his blood doth mark our door. Faith points to it, death passes over. And Satan cannot harm us, Alleluia. So, let us keep the festival where to the Lord invites us. Christ is himself the joy of all, the sun that warms and lights us. By his grace he doth impart eternal sunshine to the heart. The night of sin is ended. Alleluia. Then let us feast this joyful day on Christ the bread of heaven. The word of grace hath purged away the old and evil leaven. Christ alone our souls will feed. He is our meat and drink indeed. Faith lives upon no other. Alleluia. Amen. Christ Jesus lay in death strong bands. Congratulations, Joseph Turner, for the, the most certain first-ever game winner. The contest this week is the most intriguing theological sentence that you've read in the last couple of weeks. Send that on the social media, post it up somewhere, and put the hashtag, the most certain, and I'll track it down, and we'll see who's got the best next week. And thanks for playing along. It's really uh, a lot of fun. Thanks, thanks for that. And thanks for being part of this cross-defense. Now, uh, got that out of the way. Now we're going to study 1 Corinthians 15. How's that sound? I always assign every week 
Uh, I, I shouldn't say every. Every Easter, I give the homework assignment to everybody in the world, especially the church, to read 1 Corinthians 15. That's always the Easter week homework. And I thought, well, it's probably about time that I get around to doing the homework myself. So I'm going to read it with you guys. Paul's great, great text on the resurrection and his great argument for the resurrection to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we're going to take up that text and start walking through it on the other side of the break. You're listening to Cross Defense. And I am your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. So delighted uh, to be with you every Monday, this Monday after, uh, as well as we continue to celebrate the joy of Christmas, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let's go ahead and go to the break. We'll go to the break now, short one, and we'll be right back to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 15 right here on Cross Defense. On this Monday, May 4th, 2020, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Dan and Dale Jones of Bunker Hill, Illinois, as they give thanks for the blessing of family. Dan and Dale made a gift to KFUO Radio in celebration of their grandchildren, Ava and Deegan Jones, as they celebrate their birthdays today. Thank you, Dan and Dale Jones, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. This week on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Matt Walsh about the church's capitulation to the culture. We'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller introduce us to the book of Philemon, and we'll continue our series, The Words of Scripture, talking with Pastor Will Whedon about goodness. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, host of Cross Defense. <laughs> this is, you know, one of the problems, I, we talk about this quite a bit, and but it's good to remember that, that the, the theology is, the theology that the Lord gives to us in his, Lord, in his word is not only true, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I mean, it's full of wonder. And I don't know how. I mean, I, I suppose I I also am a man of flesh and blood, and so I, I understand this in some ways. But it's, still, it's astonishing even just to think about the fact that the devil comes along and he makes this, this word of life and joy and peace, he makes it boring to us. Anyway, we're fighting against it. And we're going to do that today by taking up the text, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, remember the contest, by the way, if you didn't, if you're just jumping on, the contest for this theological contest this week, hashtag the most certain, is your favorite, your favorite theological sentence that you read in the last couple of weeks. And knowing that a bunch of you guys are going to put Bible verses, that's fine, I suppose. But I'm kind of looking for not Bible verses, although I can't say that the Bible doesn't count because the Bible is the theology textbook. I mean, I can't 
can't do that. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested in what books you guys are reading. In some ways, it's kind of a survey to see what's catching your attention. Uh, it can be a book. It can be an article. It can be a meme. It can be whatever. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, may God grant us his Holy Spirit to enlighten our eyes and our ears and hearts to hear his word. Paul is culminating his argument to the church in Corinth with this long chapter about the resurrection. And it's wonderful. I mean, really, really wonderful. But remember, it's, it's also amazing that the church in Corinth had some doubts about the resurrection. Now, there was a lot of wild things going on in Corinth. I mean, when you, when you read 1 Corinthians and you hear Paul say at the beginning, I give thanks to you for your gifts and spiritual gifts and for your faith and so forth. You're like, oh, wow, that sounds nice. Sounds like everything's going well. And then you start to read what he writes to them. You're like, wow, how could he possibly give thanks to God for this? It's just, everything's going wrong in Corinth. They're fighting with one another. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ, they say. There was these divisions among them. They were, they were taking each other to court all the time. They were suing each other. There was all sorts of questions about marriage. Some people weren't getting married because Jesus was coming back. Other people were, you know, the, if, you, if you were converted, they were leaving. Um, they were leaving. Husbands were leaving their wives and wives were leaving their husbands. If there was like, say, two pagans got married and one became a Christian and then they would leave their unbelieving spouse. Paul said, what are you guys talking about? There was some sexual immorality. Woo. One guy was boasting. Can you? He was boasting that he was together with his father's wife. Hopefully, that means his mother-in-law. But still, ugh, Paul says, "Hand him over to the devil, so that he would repent." But of all these problems in Corinth, perhaps the worst was that there were some who doubted the resurrection. Now, make no mistake. Make no mistake that the resurrection is one of the most difficult doctrines of Christianity because it goes against every every shred of our natural theology. That's why when you just say, for example, read through the sermons in the book of Acts, you just go through and, and read those guys, almost every sermon mentions the resurrection, and it's at the point of the resurrection that everyone just goes nuts. In fact, remember Paul kind of escaped the... The, his trial in Jerusalem by saying, I'm here because of the resurrection. And they blew up because Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, and the Pharisees did. But remember, Paul, even so, for example, Paul's preaching in Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 17, at, in, in uh, Athens. And there's the Epicureans, and there's the Stoics, and here's, something who, here's some guy who has something new to say. So they call Paul over to preach to him, and he preaches and preaches until he gets to the resurrection. Then they go, What? It's crazy resurrection. The next. So, our natural theology is Gnostic. Our natural theology has this basic dualism that says spiritual things are good and physical things are bad. The body is corrupt, etc., and that the that the the soul is good. So, I mean, this goes back to the old Greek philosophers, and you find it in almost every every religion has this sort of Gnostic dualism to it. It's amazing to see. Now, not Judaism, I mean, I shouldn't say Judaism, not the Old Testament and not the New Testament. Not the, not the people who belong to Jesus. We're all about the resurrection. And the capstone of that is Jesus' own resurrection and then our resurrection, which follows. But there were some people in Corinth who had just reabsorbed this pagan denial of the resurrection. And Paul's going to say, 
don't you guys remember? I mean, this is the basics. So he starts off. And I'm looking at the clock and wondering if we're going to. I don't think we'll get through it. So here's the deal. If we don't, we'll go, we're going to take our time here with 1 Corinthians 15. And if we don't finish, we'll finish next week. Okay? It'll be a cliffhanger, like one of those very dramatic movies on the TV that they don't, you got to come back next week. It's a trick. But this is not it. This is real true. Anyway, we better get after it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, Paul writes, I would remind you, brothers. Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Paul says, we're, I'm going back to the very beginning, to the very first thing I told you, to the very first thing I taught you, to the gospel itself, to the basic good news. Now, the word gospel, oiangelion in the Greek, means good news, but it's like a, it's a, it's a good announcement. Remember, in the ancient world, you don't get your news by Twitter. The Wi-Fi was horrible in Corinth. So the way you get the news was from an announcer, from someone, from a town crier, from one person passing it to the other. I remember I lived for a few months in a village in Fiji. Have I told you guys this story? I lived for a few months in a village in Fiji, and uh, there was a town crier it was just who, would, who would go around every morning He'd walk around all the mbures, the the grass huts, and he'd and he'd go around and he'd he'd just he'd sing the announcements, he'd chant in Fijian all the news of the town. So everyone was home, or they were starting to get out of bed, or they're cooking, or everything, and this is how the news was delivered. I remember well, there was a guy I worked with. He was a this guy was funny, and this would happen every morning. And the kids we had, so this company I worked for, we were bringing uh, kind of American. Um, high school students doing adventure travel. We were doing a community service thing. So we were building a kindergarten in this really remote village. I mean, really remote. There was no electricity. The only running water was a single pipe in the middle of the village that ran from the river, all grass huts and everything. It was one time, one day we were sitting there and these kids, village kids, walked by with popsicles. We're like, oh, that looks good. And then we said, wait, wait, wait a minute. How do you get a popsicle up here? We hadn't seen ice in weeks. Someone on the edge of the village had a had a generator, and they would turn it on like once every two months, and and freeze some ice and some popsicles and stuff for the kids. Anyway, we we spent all day trying to figure out where those popsicles came from. Oh, let me tell you. But this guy would the town crier would walk. So this is a picture of the ancient world where I got to live for a while. And this town crier would walk around the village announcing the news, and the kids that we were with would say, "What's he saying?" And this guy who I worked with. He had no idea what the guy was saying. He had he didn't learn he didn't know any Fijian at all. But he would just make stuff up. So he'd listen and he'd say, Ah, he says that everyone should plant turnips and that the people who live around the outhouse by the river should make sure it gets clean by noon. And that lunchtime is cancelled. <laughs> I did just make stuff up. And the kids, you know, these American kids. Oh yeah. Oh, sounds good. That's right. But can you imagine walking around and making these announcements? So that's how it was in the ancient world. That's the that's the crier. That's the announcer. That's the oyan gelier. That's the good newser. Now this is how this is an amazing sort of thing to think about. Uh, to think about it, it when it comes to, to to the preaching of the gospel, is that it is an actual piece of news. It is not an abstraction. It is not a. Um, 
Uh, it is it is not an idea. It's the announcement of an event, of something that happened. I want I want you to think of this. Is it uh, if you if you can imagine in the ancient world that that you live in this particular city, and and there's a war, so all the men, all the boys, and all the husbands have gathered together to fight, to fight in this war. And they've all put their armor on, and they've all take, sharpened their swords, and they've all gotten on their horses, and they've all, all marched over the cliff to go and fight. And you can't see, you can't see the fight. It's over there. It's 26.3 miles away. You can't see the fight happening. You maybe can see the smoke going up. You maybe can hear the echoes of war, but you don't know how it's going. But, but how it goes there, how it goes with that fight, has everything to do with how your day's going to be today, how your tomorrow is going to be back in the village. You know, who's going to come over the horizon? Is it going to be the? Is it going to be your sons and 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 husbands and fathers? Is it going to be the? Is it going to be the soldiers coming back with victory, or is it going to be the enemies coming back to spoil the the village? If that, I mean, it it depend. Everything depends on on how the battle goes, on how it is here. So the battle would be fought, and it would be won or it would be lost, and one would run back from the battlefield to tell the people back home how it was. And there was the Katangelion, there was the bad newser, the one who came with news of, vi of loss, the one who came with news of defeat, the one who came with news of, of destruction, the one who came and said, run! But then there was the Oyangelion, the, good, the one that came with good news. <laughs> the one who comes and says, we won! We won the victory! They'll be back soon with all the spoils of battle. We won! That's... That is the gospel. And that's what Paul says that he's doing. He's going to all these places. He says, I've been there. I was where the fight was. I was in Jerusalem. I was where the tomb was. And I'm now, I'm running to you to give you the news that, that the battle is over, that the victory is won, that Christ has triumphed. I have good news for you. Now, this, there's a couple of things here, but number one, Christianity is not an abstraction. Christianity is the preaching of news. Christianity is the preaching of an event, of something that actually happened in an actual place, or an actual person, the man Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, died, and buried, and who on the third day rose again. It happened. And the announcement of that happening changes everything. This is how the preacher is. Runs breathless to the pulpit. I've got good news. And Paul ran breathless to Corinth. I've got good news for you. And he says, remember now, the news that I preached to you. That's what he said. I would remind you, brothers, the gospel I preached to you. Remember that good news, the very first thing I said, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. 
and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to me, as one untimely born. For I, says St. Paul, am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church, persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was, it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now, Paul had started this epistle by saying that it pleased the Lord through the foolishness of the word preached to save those who would believe. And so he comes back to that theme of preaching. And what was the apostolic preaching? What was the first thing St. Paul said to them? He said, Jesus is risen. Not an abstraction, not spiritually, not in our hearts, really actually risen. It happened. It was an event. This is the thing we have to review every single Easter, because always these surveys come out. Christians are asked, if they could prove that Jesus didn't rise from the grave, would you still be a Christian? And the Christians all say, oh, yeah, like 86% of us say, oh, yeah, sure. It's not a matter of the actual resurrection. It's the idea of the resurrection. It's the spirit of the resurrection. It's the thought of the It's the beauty of the resurrection. No, it's the fact of the resurrection. St. Paul says that. It's the fact. Not only that he rose, but that he appeared, that he ate with us, that he broke fish. He's always, I don't know why, always eating fish after the resurrection. <laughs> on, the, on Easter evening and on the Sea of Galilee, he's eating fish. Again, I don't know, I don't know why. It's a curious fact, but the, but the detail is important because we know even the details of Jesus' resurrection. Paul uses a very specific formula in this text. In verse 3, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received. That idea of delivering what was received, of, of it's handed on to me, and now I hand it on to you. I don't add to it. I don't subtract it. I just take what I'm, I take what I'm given, and I give it to you. This is the same technical language that the rabbis would use for Jewish tradition. It's, which, is, which is kind of amazing that Paul picks up on that language. But he says, look, I'm not making this up. I'm not adding anything. I'm not subtracting anything. I'm just giving it to you plain. And the plainness of the plain is that Jesus died for our sins and rose on the third day. That is the gospel. There are so many people that would, that would make the... There are so many people who would make the gospel like a universal principle like the goodness of God or the beauty of God or the wonder of God or something like this, but it just can't be done. The gospel is the announcement of an event. The third day Jesus rose from the dead. If we don't have that, well, Paul's going to say it, if we don't have that, then we don't have anything. Paul continues, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Because if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. 
we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now make no mistake, Jesus is helpful for this life. To have faith in Christ is helpful for this life. But that is not why Jesus has given us these gifts. He wants to extend the horizon of our hope past this life into the life to come. Paul says the resurrection of Jesus, on the resurrection of Jesus, hinges everything. I want to say a couple more words about that, but let's do that after the break. You're listening to Cross Defense, and I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches here in Austin, Texas. And join you every Monday to talk about the joy and wonder of the Lord's Word. We'll have a quick break, and we'll be right back to continue on in 1 Corinthians 15. What a text. Stay with me. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Uh, the most recent book is, and take their life, Martin Luther's Theology of the Martyrs, where I basically just kind of comb through all the things that Luther said about the martyrs. You can download that book for free at wolfmuller.co slash life, or you can buy it on Amazon, on the Kindle for a couple bucks. Find it there and take their life, Martin Luther's Theology of the Martyrs. If you like the cross defense, you'll probably like this book. Uh, let me know what you think about it. Welcome back to Cross Defense. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Death Lutheran Churches, reminding you of the theology contest, hashtag the, what is it called again? Oh yeah, hashtag the most certain, you gotta, this is the way that works, you go to the social media, which is whatever, you know, the Facebook or the Twitter, or Instagram, I think I'll figure out how to search that, or I don't know how to do it on YouTube, but I, I, I'll just look, you just put up your favorite, this week's contest, your favorite sentence, your favorite theological sentence that you've read in the last couple of weeks that made you think, hmm, that made you just weep with joy, that made you laugh, whatever it is, your favorite theological sentence, and post it up there. So we, I'm interested to see what, well, I'm, I'm interested to see what you guys are reading. I'm interested to see what catches your attention. And I'm also interested in making you feel bad if you're not reading theology. <laughs> That's the passive-aggressive part of this game because, because everybody is a theologian. It is that you cannot, you cannot sit there and say, oh, I've got a professional theologian already. I've got a pastor. He'll do the theology work, and I will draw comics. Well, okay, draw comics is fine, but also read theology. Listen to theology. I mean, I, I suppose if you're listening to this, you're doing something like that, but you... 
we all theologians, all of us, are students of God's word, students of the joy and peace that he wants us to have. It's fantastic. Now, we're, we're studying here. This is Cross Defense, by the way, and we're, I'm your host, Pastor Wolfman. Did I say that already? And we're studying 1 Corinthians 15, uh, and, and we got to this paragraph, verse 12, where, where Paul's saying, hey, look at this. Um, uh, if you guys are saying that nobody, right, there's no resurrection from the dead, then what, how can Jesus be raised from the dead? This is amazing. This is, if, if, if Jesus is raised from the dead. But if you, if you say the dead aren't raised, then that means Jesus isn't raised. And if, and if Jesus isn't raised, then our preaching is in vain. If Jesus isn't raised, your faith is in vain. And if Jesus isn't raised, then we are liars because we preach Christ is raised from the dead. And if the dead is not raised, then Jesus isn't raised. And if he's not raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep, that means died. It's a beautiful name for death, by the way. One of those dulce nomine morte. <laughs> I like saying that. Dulce nomine morte. That means the candy sweet names of death. The old theologians used to talk about that, how, how the Bible gives us these sweet names of death, like gain and to depart and be with Christ and to see Jesus face to face and to join the fathers. And this one that Jesus invented, sleep. She's not dead. She's sleeping. We go to see Lazarus. He's sleeping. I'm going to wake him up. Sleep. Woo. And sleep means resurrection. Sleep means waking up. Death means waking up. So that Jesus has fall. He sleep. He fell asleep and he woke up. And so we will fall asleep and we'll wake up. That's why we say rest in peace because the grave is just a sleep. I think that's probably what the word cemetery means. Someone told me this one time that the word cemetery is like a is like the Latin word for where the soldiers would sleep, like the dorm, like the bunkhouse for the soldiers. I don't know if that's true or not, but sounds true-ish. <laughs> it sounds like it could be true. But I like the idea because this is, you know, the old Germans used to call the cemeteries God's gardens. That that picture is coming up in 1 Corinthians 15 because Paul says, look, you're planted. Your, body, your mortal body is planted and then you're raised. <laughs> that's fantastic. He says, but look, at if Jesus isn't raised, then you're still in your sins. All who fall asleep are perished. You're, it's it. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied, because our hope in Christ is chiefly in the resurrection. Now, now we've been studying a lot of, about hope in the worldwide Bible class, but that might be interesting to you guys who are listening Every Tuesday morning in Texas time at 10 o'clock, we're doing a worldwide Bible class. Information about it is on the website, wolfmuller.co slash Bible. And we're studying the biblical doctrine of hope. And, and so the question came up, uh, is all of our hope in the resurrection? Is the only thing we hope for in, li in the life to come, the second coming, or what happens after death? And the answer is no. We have hope for Christ in, we have hope in Christ in this life also. We have hope that the Lord is our helper. Uh, that he's our friend, that he hears our prayers, that he answers us, that he gives us wisdom, and so forth. We do have hope in this life, but not only in this life. Our Christian hope extends past death, in fact, past the last day. It extends into eternity. So Paul had gone through all these things that would be true if Christ hadn't raised from the dead, but then he says, but in fact, Christ 
has been raised from the dead. Now that, in fact, I, I always throw in those in facts. I don't know, it's one of these bad kind of vocal habits that you're not supposed to have when you are on the radio all the time. You know, the ums and the ticks and the, and the kind of verbal crutches that you go to. You're supposed to try to eliminate all those. I'm, I'm the worst. I don't even try. Anyway. Like, anyway. I always say, anyway. Now I'm going to notice it. It's going to annoy me the whole thing. But I always say, in fact. and In fact. And then I'll say, this is a way of saying, and next. But Paul is not just saying, in fact, Christ is right. He's saying, in fact, in truth, in reality, in Indeed. That's why we say at Easter, Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Indeed. Not in abstraction, not in idea, not in our minds, not in our imaginations, not in our fantasies. Indeed. In truth. In the grave he rose. That it's, a, again, an historic fact. We can't miss that. In fact, Christ, I'm in verse 20, has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now that is nice, first fruits. In the ancient world, so I'm told, because you all know that I'm too rural or too urban to know, really actually know these things, but in the ancient world, you've got to buy the seed and you've got to plant the seed, and you're not 100% sure if the seed is good or bad. If the seed went bad, sitting there in the bag all winter, in the basket or the bucket or whatever, so you plant the seed, and then you sit around nervous, chewing your fingernails until the very first sprout comes up, and then you say, aha, the seed is good, at least most of it. So the first fruits, that first little bit, the first one to come out, is indicating that the, all of them, or, you know, they're all going to grow, that the seed is good. And so this is the picture that Paul is using for Jesus. He's the first fruits of the seed, that all the people have been planted in the ground, but now one has risen, and that means that all will rise. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of them who have fallen asleep, that the miracle of the resurrection will also be accomplished in your mortal bodies and in everybody's mortal bodies. Not just believers, believers and unbelievers alike. Every single human being will be raised from the dead. What happened to Jesus happens to all. He is the new Adam, the second Adam. So as in... As in Adam, all fell, all died, so as in Christ, all will be made alive. That's what it says next. Verse 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. Jesus was a man. Now, the, the astonishing thing, this is an interesting thing to maybe just think about for a little bit. As we confess Christ as God and man, that the surprise in the ancient world was that Jesus was a man. Always the tendency in, in the old heresies was to think of Jesus as like a demigod or some sort of divine creature or a spirit or something like that. That he wasn't a true true man. That was always the temptation because they knew of his miracles, they knew of the wonders that he worked, he, they knew of his reputation, his name, his power, and all this sort of stuff. So they, he knew that he wasn't, he wasn't a mere man, and so the idea was that he just looked like a man. That was the old docetists heresy, that Jesus just seemed like he was a man. He wasn't truly a man, this is the kind of thing. Now, we have the, we have the opposite problem in, the, in, in our heresies nowadays, is we just think of Jesus as a plain old guy. 
when we think of Jesus, you know, the way the, the like the modern liberal church basically thinks of Jesus as like a a modern liberal preacher, <laughs> like a modern liberal coll uh, 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 a college professor, the hippie Jesus. He was a good teacher. That's the, that's our temptation nowadays. And so we hear that Jesus was a uh, just as a uh, we hear that Jesus was just a. Uh, we hear the text that says Jesus was a man, and we're like, well, of course he was a man. But when when Paul says that Jesus was a man through one man, the people were – that's the surprise. In fact, the Bible expects the idea that Jesus is a man to be a surprise to us. <laughs> that's astonishing. By a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, verse 22 – I mean, First Corinthians 15, you can bloop, bloop, bloop on your phone to look at it or – if you have a Bible, not many people have Bibles anymore, the paper Bible, you know. Remember how Bibles used to be in books? 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-two. As in Adam, all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, those are technical terms that Paul uses for the ranks and authorities of the demons. Every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. This is so great. This is Psalm 110, Psalm 8. Psalm 110 is the third most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And it's the a psalm of the ascension. Remember, Jesus now sits on the throne, and he rules and he reigns in all things for the sake of the church. I had a, I have a friend, Pastor Graff. You guys know Pastor Graff. He's been on this show before. I should have him on again someday. Pastor Graff says that every heresy, every false teaching, in one way or another, goes back to a denial of the ascension of Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if he actually remembers saying that. I don't know if he would agree with it anymore, but it's an interesting thing to think about, that whenever we get off track in the church, there's something we're forgetting, that Jesus sits on the throne, that Jesus rules and reigns, that Jesus is in charge, that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is the Lord. That's the thing that got all the martyrs killed, remember? Jesus is Lord, they said. No, no, you got to say Lord Caesar. You got to give Caesar the incense. You got to give Caesar the adoration, and you got to give Caesar the title Lord. And the Christians said, "No way, Jose." That's Greek. <laughs> no, Jesus is Lord. He sits on the throne. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is ruling and reigning. And he must rule, and he must reign, until, verse 25 says, he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Oh, man. Final victory. I think that's the name of the book I wrote about planning the funeral of a Christian. It comes from this particular text, the last victory, that on the last day, Jesus will come back, and now all the graves will give up the dead. How glorious is that? For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. In other words, God is not subject to Jesus. 
Jesus is doing all this as God. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So Jesus delivers, this is beautiful, Jesus delivers the kingdom to the Father, and the Father hands it back to Jesus. Fantastic. Now Paul says, look, if you miss the resurrection, if you say the dead are not raised, you miss all of that. All right, someone mark it there, because I'm getting the notes that we're almost out of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28, we got there. We're about one-third of the way through, so next week we'll take it up here and continue our work. Your homework is to finish the chapter this week, and also to participate in the theology contest. Hashtag the most, oh yeah, the most certain, your most intriguing, interesting, uh, enlightening, enjoy, a joyful theological sentence that you read this last week, you can tag it, the most certain, hashtag the most certain, and we'll give away the prize of being the winner next week on Cross Defense. Thanks for being part of the fun. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches here in Austin, Texas. Come and visit when you can visit, when we can travel around. Uh, and may God continue to give you his peace and his comfort, his joy and his life, all in the name of Jesus, who is risen. He is risen indeed, in truth, in reality, in history. And because, his, because of his empty grave, we have this confidence that death will be overcome even in us, that we will be raised on the last day, that Jesus will call us forth from the grave and will usher us into a life that will never end. God be praised. Well, thanks for being here. God's peace be with you. I'll look forward to talking to you next week on Cross Defense. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Thanks again. Whoa, stuck with it all the way through. Thanks for being part of the podcast here on Cross Defense. God be praised. If there was something helpful for you, uh, please make sure to share it with your friends and family, whoever would be helped by it. Hopefully there's some encouragement for you and in marching through 1 Corinthians 15, such a glorious text. Hopefully it brings to you, uh, to your conscience, your mind, the joy of God's uh, promises to us in Christ, the joy of the resurrection of the body. Uh, so thanks for being part of the fun. We'll look forward to talking to you next week.